All right. So let's get into the meat of this episode, and we'll start by uh, talking about the BRICS. We'll conclude our thoughts on the BRICS Summit as the BRICS Summit comes to a conclusion. And I think I've covered all the, the major important facts about it, although I will criticize myself because last week when we were talking about the, the big BRICS Summit, uh, I emphasized the interplay between BRICS and America and how the two were interconnected in ways both negative but also positive. And I thought the, the positive sort of outweighed the negative, or at least the potential positive did. But I think I went a little overboard and I, I kept going on tangents about America when I was supposed to be talking about the BRICS Summit. So there's a a criticism on my end. I do believe I covered the major facts of the summit, but it was so spread out because I'd, I'd do like one one thing and then I'd go on a tangent about America. So just listening to myself there, it's like, uh, well, I've diluted the value of the segment by going off topic a little, just a little too much, you know. Uh, but you know me, I love my tangents. But uh, I, I can't help it. I can't help it. Forgive me. I really like America. And I really do believe that what's happening around the world, as emphasized by the BRICS summit, is not some danger to America or to anyone else for that matter. I really do believe that this is a positive, a very positive, once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. And while I don't think America needs to necessarily join the BRICS, I just can't help but think of the immense potential in terms of trade, in terms of deals and development and markets and mutually beneficial agreements and uh, arrangements that could be brokered between us and not just the BRICS, but the broader multipolar world in general. I see the emergence of this new multipolar world as overtly beneficial to the United States. That's the way I see it. And I, I, I kept going off on tangents about it. And I really do believe it. But I'll try to stay on topic. But yeah, with, with the BRICS coming to a close, we can confirm we can confirm that they are working on that that currency the trade settlement currency which will be backed by gold and i did bring up how the fact that there's so many commodities producers are a part of bricks now their ability to back the currency themselves instead of relying on some sort of outside power to provide the gold or or whatever other commodity ends up being put into that because we, we don't know we don't know it it could be gold it could be oil they they could they could go for a oil stand or a a, a petro bricks currency. We, we, we definitely need a name. We need a name. Uh, I'll see if I can put my savvy to some to use and uh, come up with something. But it's just nothing comes to mind. It's just it's the bricks currency. It's like, OK, well, what are, what are we really going to call it? We, we can't call it uh, the bricks currency forever. That gets a little redundant. And honestly, uh, it makes it hard to tell the story. But yeah. They could they could have a gold standard. They could even go for a petro bricks <laughs> currency. They could do whatever they want. They have the commodities producers on their side in terms of mineral and energy resources. They can do it. So that's on board. That's on deck. We know it's going to happen. It's going to take them a minute. And we figured as much. It's a brand new currency. And it's going to be servicing the trade. It's going to be used as a trade settlement for how many countries? Yeah. That's gonna be something in the works. We know they're doing that. They added six countries: Iran, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Argentina. Mexico, Mexico, Turkey, Belarus, 
probably going to join at some point later on as well. I see Venezuela coming on board. And who else would join the BRICS? I'm trying to think. Indonesia might. Indonesia, maybe Afghanistan, maybe Afghanistan, or maybe, maybe some countries in Central Asia. I think Hungary, <laughs> if they if they got the if they got the choice, if they had the option, if they were not landlocked, or or well, they're always going to be landlocked. But if they had a border with Russia, which they might by the end of the Ukraine war, I feel like they would apply to join the BRICS. France wants to they want in on the BRICS summit they want they want it in France kind of maybe might potentially join at some point maybe we don't know we'll see we'll definitely see they're a little bit of a wild card you know I see uh, a lot of other countries in Africa are probably going to join at some point as well but just think about the major the heavy hitters here just think about the heavy hitters here Congo might come along for the ride as well uh, I almost said South Africa, but I don't know. Everyone forgets that South Africa is a part of the BRICS, and I, I almost forgot as well. But you know, so yeah, we can expect a lot of other countries who are already sort of uh, queued up for potential membership to come on board either next year uh, and, or in the following years. But yeah, BRICS expansion has been approved, as evident by the addition of those six countries and likely more are going to follow so with more countries like that and with a lot of economic heavy hitters not just in terms of the size of economy like brazil or russia or saudi arabia but in terms of commodities and resources produced like you're talking the gulf states plus egypt and ethiopia i'm talking brazil and eventually uh, brazil and argentina mind you and eventually i think even mexico venezuela and maybe someone else from Latin America. Who knows? These are some, these are major, major economic forces at play. And I think that they will be able to support and sustain their currency. And that that, that currency is going to take a minute to put together when you look at the countries involved. So we know that's going to happen. We know that they've approved that they can expand and that's going to open the door to a lot of other countries joining. We, they have the new development bank. That's the name of it. The new development bank, which is going to be used for major investment uh, projects throughout the BRICS countries and potentially throughout non BRICS members as well. I have a feeling it's primarily going to be centered on say Africa and central Asia and Latin America. That's my personal guess as to where a lot of the investments going to get funneled. Uh, And it's going to essentially overlay uh, the Belt and Road and the Russian uh, educational and energy investment going on in Africa. Africa's just going to be a straight-up winner from all this. We can observe that is going to be the case. So we know those things are happening. And we know they have a commitment to de-dollarization because they're doing deals in local currencies. They, they agreed that they were going to continue to advance that trend of countries doing more and more trade in local currencies rather than in the dollar. Uh, but they want something, and this was something that was brought up with India. Uh, uh, I forget where I heard it, but I, it was something about the cost of financial transfers. Because when you when you take a currency and you try to 
translated into another currency using the dollar and Western finance as the intermediary, there's transfer, there's transfer costs. There's a, a certain percentage gets skimmed off the top. And when you're dealing in these multi-billion dollar deals or even high multi-million, like 10, a few tens of millions, a few hundreds of million, you know, really big deals between countries, every decimal point matters when you're talking about money. That's, that can be really costly. So from that perspective, and that sort of opens up a whole new line of thinking here, the cost savings perspective of having an alternative to the Western financial to Western finance, where you can have potentially a lower transfer fee cost, a lower transfer fee, which will then lower the cost of moving money between BRICS nations, which then more money can be allocated towards the things that they actually want to do, instead of paying people to sit on their ass in an office in some Western financial uh, building or any other financial building for that matter, because they could have easily just replaced it with someone else, but they want something different. And that opened up a a brand new perspective for me, because think about the smaller countries who don't have, don't necessarily have much to work with to begin with. They can't really, they can't afford to be having uh, X percent skimmed off the top of their deals just as a transit fee especially if it's investment going into them or hell if if they're trying to purchase something from another country that they need they want every uh insert currency here (laughs) they want every one of their for lack of a better term dollars they want every one of their dollars to go as far as it can go but if part of your money is being skimmed off the top as a transfer fee because you have to convert it to the currency of the country you're doing the, the trade with and you go through the dollar as you do that, which means you go through Western finance and financial capital to do that. And they just get to skim money off the top for free once when you convert to dollars and then twice when you convert from dollars to the currency that you're trying to go to. That adds up very quickly. So the cost savings perspective might also be something we should think about when we think about the BRICS currency and them and these local currency deals that they're doing where they will accept trade in, in between each other instead of going through the dollar because while that has its own problems logistically speaking the cost savings might end up being worth it depending on the countries at play if you do a lot of trade with with one country and you can get that country to accept your currency and you'll accept their currency well do you cut out the middleman and now just like how the portuguese went uh, circumnavigated the globe to get to the spice islands in the east and they went around the middlemen of the middle east and even though that was really expensive to do it ended up saving them an immense amount of money on luxuries and bringing down the price of luxuries throughout all of europe something similar might end up happening with financing and the movement of capital where sure local currency deals and even the building from scratch of a gold-backed trade settlement currency might be expensive on in its own right but the cost savings in the long term might just justify doing it anyway that's something to think about so 
those are the major points of the BRICS summit, in case it was sort of hard to follow through my ranting. But yeah, major developments, and we'll probably see some more next year. Uh, it's not too many tangibles, you know, aside from the addition of new members and the agreements to continue uh, local currency deals. Those are the, the sort of the tangibles. Uh, but it's you can't just expect everything to happen in one summit. So we'll see what happens as the years go by and you get more and more BRICS summits because uh, things are heating up internationally. Decades are flying by in days. So we will keep our eyes on these developments. But yeah, uh, sorry on my part for going off on half a million tangents about America. But I think that these are really positive developments. And I think that the potential of a positive and constructive interplay between the United States and the BRICS is too big to ignore, especially when we're sort of blinded by the politics of our day, where it's, oh, we're doing this, oh, we're doing that. You know, we see things as they are or how we want to see them, not necessarily as they could be. But when we look at what could be, you can see a lot of good that can come from this. And again, we don't need to join the BRICS, but we could work with the nations of the BRICS. Just like how I talked about how we could work with countries who sign on to the Belt and Road. You get a trade deal with them, and now if the Belt and Road succeeds in their country, we have a bigger trading partner. And if it fails, well, we have a trading partner. We have a trading partner. And it's something similar with the BRICS. We can really make the emergence of a new world order, the multipolar world order, we can really make that work for us if we want to. If, if we had the strategic flexibility to do so, which I think we'll only have once we get rid of these alliances. But yeah, uh, I, I mean it. I really do mean it. Like, I'm, I might sound like some sort of a unrealistic pie-in-the-sky guy for saying that, especially in a time where everyone's looking for the real enemy, whether it be Russia or China, Iran, North Korea, everyone's looking for the real enemy. I think we have more potential to be gained, more potential gains to be gained by working with these countries that we're told are our enemies. I mean, Trump got a deal with the Taliban. Trump walked across the DMZ four times in one day without getting shot. So are these countries, are these entities really our enemy? Or are they just foreign? Foreign peoples who don't want us stepping on their shoes and are perfectly willing to work with us so long as we respect their boundaries, just like we demand that they expect our boundaries. Trump would have gotten us a deal with the Russians if it wasn't for Russiagate, which sort of laid the foundation. Uh, this is a common critique from, say, Jimmy Dore, that Russiagate laid the foundation for the psychosis people have with regards to Russia and the openly hostile attitudes towards Russia, which enables giving hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine, where we're only now coming around to saying, you know what, maybe, maybe, maybe we've done enough for Ukraine. Only now, after a year, after a year and a half of war, you know. But yeah, we would have gotten a deal with Russia. We fought trade wars with just about everybody, and we got deals with almost everybody. China was next. China was next. We were in the works of getting a trade deal with China, the, the purpose of fighting the trade deal with China was not just to have a trade deal with uh, a trade war with China, excuse me. 
the trade deal was the end point. That was the goal was to get a new trade deal that was mutually beneficial, not just, well, we get a little bit and then they get all this. The point of the trade war was to renegotiate the deal and to get a new deal that was mutually beneficial to both of us. That was the goal of the trade wars. And it, we almost had one. Trump was in the process of getting one, then COVID came along. So these major deals, and, and those two deals alone, the Russia deal and the China deal, would have just completely upended the geopolitical order. That is the status quo in the United States right now. Had he gotten those two deals, everything would have been turned on its head, and we would have quickly come to the conclusion, uh, we the people, would have quickly been able to see, oh, wow, these countries aren't actually our enemies. They're just other countries who have their own interests. And if we can make agreements that appeal to and serve our mutual interests, we can coexist just fine. We don't need a cold war with China. We don't need a cold war with Russia. We can just make deals and leave each other alone. The, the political status quo we live in right now, where it's oh, either a war with China or a war with Russia, wouldn't exist had he achieved those deals. I think that we're going to see uh, that we have the potential to do something similar with the BRICS and the multipolar world. We can just make deals and then everybody benefits. And plus, with the BRICS, they do a lot of things that I, I say we should do in the United States. That So that's also part of my obsession with the interplay between BRICS and United States. Because they talk about a, a gold-backed trade settlement currency. I did a whole segment back in, what was it, February, March? Talking about the Gold Standard Restoration Act and how that is the way we should be going. And I was so happy that it was brought uh, before Congress. I think that sound money is the way forward. We should never have left it, but now we've learned our mistake, hopefully, and we can go back to sound money. The bricks are moving to sound money, and people are, oh, oh, the, the dollar is about to be dethroned from as the, the world reserve currency. You know, that that's the, the constant fear now. I, I thought the BRICS was a nothing burger. I thought China was going to collapse, and we'll get into that later on. Well, you remember when China did that deal with Arabia to where they could buy oil in yuan, in Chinese yuan? Yeah. Why is our currency dependent on other countries using our currency for interactions between each other, interactions that don't involve the United States? Why is the value of our currency dependent on that? Why do we divide, derive the value of our currency from insert country here buying oil from Arabia in dollars? Why have we outsourced the value of our currency? We shouldn't do that. We should have sound money, gold backed by gold, and then you have some real fiscal responsibility. You get rid of the Fed, and now the, the money supply is only as great as how much gold you have. Sound money. And then it doesn't matter who is or isn't using your currency because your currency is based in something real. The BRICS is basing their currency in something real. They're not, they're not about to sit there and go, oh, yeah, we're going to make a brand new currency. We're going to get away from the, the, the American-led system, and we're just going to print the new currency until we feel like we're satisfied. No one's going to go along with that. That's why, that's why they're going to gold. They wouldn't solve any problems if they did that. That's why they're going to gold. We should, we should go to gold. They go to gold. We go to gold. It, it all just works. It's, it's symbiotic. 
I think that's the word that I've been searching for. It's symbiotic. The things that America should be doing for itself and the things that BRICS is doing for itself and its members are symbiotic. BRICS wants to help facilitate trade between its member states and potentially those outside of BRICS as well. The United States should be the great trading nation using our central position where we have access through our coastlines to Europe, Africa, well, uh, easy access. We have direct lines of access to Western Europe, direct lines of access to West Africa, the entire Western coastline of Africa. We have direct access to all of Latin America. We have direct access via the, the West Coast to all of East Asia, North and South. Now, the Indian Ocean, that's a little bit tougher to get to, but you know, uh, but we, we can still get there. We can, technically, through the Straits of Malacca, through the Cape of Good Hope, or, and, you know, the Suez Canal. It, it's harder getting to in the Indian Ocean. Uh, but, shoot, minus India, that's access to the entire world that we have because of where we are physically and what our borders look like. We should be doing trade with everybody. So the BRICS facilitating trade between its members, we should already be doing trade with all of the members. We should be benefiting passively from the BRICS and what the BRICS are doing. A strong BRICS currency is one thing. A, a, a trade, an international, uh, uh, excuse me, a trade settlement currency backed by gold is one thing. But we should be backing our currency by gold and increasing its value so that when our manufacturers need to buy something, if they need to purchase it, it had the dollar, every dollar that they have can go really far, especially if they buy it from foreign countries. The dollar is really strong today when compared to other currencies, but imagine if it was backed by gold and how much stronger it would be. And speaking of gold and, you know, the gold backed trade settlement currency that the BRICS are going to have, if they're going to have that settlement currency, and it's going to be pegged to gold. What's going to stop other countries from either building up gold reserves or pegging their own currencies to gold or some commodity as well? Similar to how OPEC works together to sort of set the price of oil, there's a potential that BRICS could be sort of that, but in the commodity, the other commodities like the metals and rare earths, potentially gold. And there again, American independence from that organization would benefit us more than being in it. Because just like with OPEC, we don't, we're not a part of OPEC. So we don't need to cut our production when they do. Uh, as a matter of fact, they benefit us by doing that because then we can eat up their market share by producing more oil. Now, granted, America is too big of a consumer of oil to really compete with them with the other producers as an exporter because while we're up there in terms of production we're uh you compare our consumption to like russia and, and arabia yeah we're not going to be much of a much of an oil exporter we're not going to be a much bigger exporter than say iraq or even egypt or venezuela that being said energy independence in the united states means that we have energy available for export and if we're not a part of OPEC, then that means when OPEC does its little its little price wars and they try to raise the price by cutting production, that means we can our producers can make more money abroad instead of 
trying to fleece us for money. We get to have cheap energy here, and then our producers get to make more money abroad. Staying out, having strategic autonomy and independence benefits us more than being a part of the group, being a part of the club. And it certainly benefits us more than being a part of the West. Uh, well, we are, we're a Western country, we're just like Russia is. We'll never not be a Western country, but there's no need for us to go attaching ourselves permanently to the Europeans. We should pursue our own interests. And with regard to the BRICS, if they become a sort of OPEC of commodities like minerals, gold, silver, uranium, etc., oh Niger, maybe Niger will be a, uh, an addition later on down the line. We'll, we'll see how this goes. But when you see the minerals, the, the minerals game, um, if BRICS were to become a sort of OPEC for minerals, well then they would start to set the price. And I'm sure that they would work together to do that, to set the price at something that would give them all a nice hefty load of money <laughs> in exchange for those commodities. Now, how far they would get, considering how big I expect bricks to become, I'm not entirely sure. Because when you start adding a lot of countries, you get a lot of different interests. So it's, it's a potential that you could end up creating divisions in bricks by sort of trying to set the prices too high for certain commodities. So I'm not entirely sure that's going to be the case. But I'm sure that BRICS members are going to work with each other on the side with, through their own organizations outside of BRICS to potentially do that if, if it's in their interest to do. And then you get, uh, well, at the very least, we, we know that BRICS is probably going to go for some version of that with regards to gold because, well, they're going to back their currency by gold and you probably want to control the supply of it just a little bit. If you, if you have so many suppliers of the commodity, just a little bit, you want to control the supply of gold so you don't immediately get sabotaged by an overflow of gold. But with that comes the U.S. role in that, or at the very least, the opportunity we have, which is if we're not a part of that club and they start setting commodity prices higher and higher, be it through BRICS or through BRICS members or BRICS affiliates working together outside of BRICS to do that in, in the same vein as OPEC does with oil, we could sit there and go, oh, you're going to raise the price artificially of this commodity here? Well, we're going to produce insert commodity here. If you're not going to sell it to other people, well, then we'll sell it to other people and we'll make the money while you do that. So in a sense... America has the potential to be the counterbalance to international uh, uh, sort of cliques who want to artificially raise the price of certain goods and commodities. The United States, just by serving our own interests in this new world, could end up being the balancer where other countries like uh, other groupings of countries like OPEC, but for, say, other resources and commodities would try to cut production to raise the price, which benefits them. And then United States comes in. If we are outside of those organizations, we are not bound by the agreements that they make. So when they cut production, we can raise production. And then we benefit as well. They'll benefit in the short term from the rise in the price. And then we benefit in the long term from the market share or the medium term, because eventually they're going to bring production back up and then we'll sort of be pushed out. It'll be a, a push and pull. 
But th uh, there again, the interplay between America and the multipolar world, the BRICS, it just goes hand in hand. I, I really hope I'm conveying my ideas to you here. It, it's like a match made in heaven. But it requires the United States to do things that make sense for the United States to do. It requires us to stop trying to be the world's police. And it requires us to stop trying to babysit Europe. It requires America to put America first. And, that, and it all just works out. And it benefits not just us, but the world. Because the, all the people who don't produce oil get screwed over when OPEC starts cutting production like that. I mean, $100 a barrel is crazy. Now imagine if they could purchase oil from the United States. Imagine if American oil was sort of on the market and unaffected by those production cuts. Well, now they can look towards an, 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 a steadily increasing supply of American oil, potentially at a discount. Maybe we sell it for the international price. But as more American oil comes online, that steadily puts downward pressure on the prices until – so it, it, it caps out. It doesn't go to $200 a barrel, you know? And then we benefit from that. Then the the oil producers start bringing it back up or whatever commodity, insert commodity here. They bring their production back up and then every, everything goes back to normal. You know, it's an interplay. And it it just works together in a very symbiotic nature. I think that the BRICS and, a, and an America first United States are a match made in heaven. And it works best by us not being a part of this club. This is a very positive development that I think disproportionately benefits the entire world, ourselves included. And I really hope I've sort of conveyed that to you in a, a more clear way than me just going off on rants and tangents about America when I'm supposed to be talking about the BRICS. But that's the BRICS. Those are my thoughts on the BRICS. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.